Welcome to the Army National Guard Leader Development Podcast. I'm Chief Chris Young, and today we'll be speaking with Command Sergeant Major of the Army National Guard, John F. Samper, about his career, being a leader in the Army National Guard, and what's in store for the leaders in our future. Welcome, Sergeant Major. Thanks for having me here. I'm glad to be here today and uh, give my perspective to our soldiers in the Army National Guard. I know everyone's looking forward to hearing it. Sergeant Major, if you don't mind, why don't you uh, start us off by telling us a little bit about uh, you know where you came from in the guard, how you got down here to NGB, and how you got to you know the the preeminent position for an NCO down here. Well, I, I'm proud to say that I'm a Texas Guardsman. I live in the uh, west side of Houston, and I've been in the the Guard and the Army uh, in April. Will be 33 years. I'm wow. a tanker, 19 kilo. <laughs> I've only had one uh, MOS my entire career. Really? So I've been pretty fortunate to uh, to sustain that, and uh, but I'm a tanker by heart. But uh, I, I got here uh, to be the Army Guard Command Sergeant Major by uh, just being at the right place at the right time and having all the credentials that I needed for the position. Because I had no idea that I would become the 12th Command Sergeant Major Army National Guard in my lifetime. But I'm here and uh, I'm trying to do the best I can. But how I got here was that my previous assignment, I was a 36th Division Sergeant Major. I did that as a traditional guardsman, serving that tenure for about just over three years, and then I was selected to be the senior enlisted leader for the state of Texas. And then shortly after that, I was selected to come here. So I walked into the building of the Retina Center here in Arlington, Virginia, February 14th. I brought some love to the building, <laughs> but they didn't realize what kind of love I was bringing, but I, I brought some good love. So And some leg tuck bars. And some leg tuck, yeah, all that above. And so here uh, next week will be my two anniversary here. So I have uh, one more year uh, in my assignment, and uh, we'll go from there. Outstanding. Yeah. You have a very impressive career in the Army National Guard and also as a police officer. Like, How did you balance those competing demands between military, law enforcement, and family? So before I even start that, you know, you, you said two, two buzzwords that, uh, that kind of we in the, in the law enforcement world, you know, kind of look to. You said police officer. Yes, I'm a police officer, but I'm a state trooper. So ah, I got to be proud of, of those words, state trooper. So, yes, I'm a Texas, uh, Texas state trooper. I work in the Texas Highway Patrol Division, and I've been there for 25 years now. And uh, you're right. So over the, the years of, of my tenure being in Army National Guard and also being a state trooper, uh, it's you know, it's been a real balancing act because uh, as time come and as I continue to uh, – do my assignments in as a state trooper, you know, is competing. Uh, each one was high demand. And, uh, and so it's, but really what got me through that was my commitment to uh, being a, a senior leader in Army National Guard. So there's some things that I've could have done as a state trooper that I, that I chose not to do because I chose to become a senior leader in, in, in the, uh, Army National Guard. So those are personal choices. Mm -hmm. And so for anybody in any career, uh, especially as M-Day, they have to make those personal choices. I know many folks who've made those personal choices to either be a certain level in in the Army National Guard or be a certain level in a civilian job uh, and how that affects their family. And so for a long time, I, uh, as a state trooper, I didn't want to move or promote or whatever the case may be. Uh, because I was fully engaged in my Army career, going to different positions, doing training events, deploying and all that. And so I made that conscious decision to focus more on that than 
uh, my civilian state trooper job, which was still rewarding because I still had a, you know, was able to do what I needed to do as a state trooper as well, too. Can get pretty tough when uh, both entities want 100 percent of you. That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. Especially, you know, uh, uh, you know, when you have to write case reports and, and those case reports are being scrutinized in the court of law. And so you got to be very professional and very communicate uh, consistently and uh, and then also deal with because as a division sergeant major you know as an M day soldier I was in charge of over fifteen thousand soldiers and so you're constantly in contact with uh, your unit leadership uh, full time leadership because of all the things you are responsible for as a division sergeant major and so it's like having for like last fifteen years now it's, for me it's like having two full time jobs uh, other than me coming back into the army three years ago full time but prior to that it's like having two full-time jobs. And so having a family who's understanding and, and know what it's all about. But the key is too for me to have my family uh, support me is to involve them in what the Army has going on as well too. So uh, drill weekends, uh, my wife or my family would probably come to drill weekend with me if it was a home station drill. We make a weekend out of it. Uh, invite them to different functions, uh, dining outs, uh, you know, whatever the Army has for the family, include them. Because a lot of times I find soldiers, they won't, they, they do this job because they love it. But when they go home, they don't talk about it. They try and keep the two separate. They try and keep two separate or they just don't talk about it because it's, you know, just something they, they love to do. It's not really, they really feel like it's not, you know, anything big because they just do it. But they need to, I constantly tell soldiers, you have to go home, tell your story, especially to your family, because they don't see everything you're doing. They just know you're away from home. But if you include them, uh, in the things you're doing and also talk about some of the things you're doing, they can have a better understanding of what you do and be more supportive for you doing that. So Sergeant Major, going off of that, you know, there's a lot of requirements in your drill weekend. There's a lot going on with the Guard these days. You know, we're seeing Guard units go to Europe, you know, deploying in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria to Africa. With all with all this going on in the National Guard now and our, our regular M-Day drill weekend requirements, you know, how can we as soldiers and leaders you know, balance that family life, but also make sure we're developing the next generation of leaders to take our place when we're gone? Yeah, so a great question. Uh, when, when you talked about the different things Guard soldiers doing today, I look at it as great opportunities that Guard soldiers of yesterday didn't have. If you talk to a Guard soldier you know, 25 years, 30 years ago, he or she probably would be very surprised in what the Guard is doing today and the opportunities they have to train outside of their state or now even train uh, overseas somewhere. That was not really heard of back in those days because you was more of a community-based organization, did a lot, a lot of local community stuff, and then you was there for the homeland response. Where now we, we have all that, uh, continue to have the homeland response mission uh, in addition to the warfight mission. So we, we highly engaged in the last 20 years or so more into the warfight because the active component numbers have reduced to where now the requirements of the Army is increased. So 60% of the combatant commander's requirements are required for the Army to fulfill. And so the active component cannot do all of that by themselves. So they have to have the Army National Guard to be involved in the warfight. And so... Moving forward, I always say that today's National Guard is definitely not yesterday's National Guard. This is the new norm for the Army National Guard because when the world changes, our threats changes. When the threat changes, the Army changes, and the Army National Guard is going to change with that. And so what you see now is uh, the new 
Army National Guard. And so for the leaders uh, of today and those coming up today, you have to continue to think outside the box. I always say, do not allow your lack of funding or lack of equipment to determine your outcome of your training. At home stage, it seems like there's a lot of things for us to do. There it is. So you have to prioritize some things. And the chief of staff of the Army uh, a few years ago said that a lot of these required training is going to be determined by the commander himself. He or she is going to determine what's required. And not everything has to be on a PowerPoint presentation that we got used to. Sitting in the classroom, just, just being beat up by PowerPoint. That's certainly good news, dear. Yeah. So, so yeah. So in my days, you know, if you get get soldiers underneath the tree, we call it hip pocket training. Yeah. So training is not always in the classroom. Training can be anywhere. Uh, there are soldiers and a leader, and 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 something is is taught and learned from it. But the key is the leaders have to put all that training into DTMS. That's the only way that's going to be certified and recorded that soldiers receive that training. And so, but what I want to embark on the young leaders of today and future leaders of today is that you got to remember what Drill Weekend is for. Drill Weekend is for keeping you familiar with your skills and the knowledge. And no one's going to be proficient on Drill Weekend. That's when we get mobilized and go to our uh, mob sites and, and AT to continue to perfect our skill sets. Drill set, drill weekend, as I look at it, is for us to be familiarized with our skills and work on those things that we may be deficient in. And so that's kind of the attitude for physical fitness. As long as you're doing something, you create the culture of your soldiers to go back home and they create a culture back home to eat right and do some type of physical activity. Because I guarantee you, at the end of the day, what do you have before you go home? Final formation, right? So... Your ticket to go home is probably to do five laps around the parking lot. And if you're the last one every month to go home because you're the last one doing five laps, guess what you guess you guess what you think that soldier's gonna do between drill? Try to get a little bit quicker. He try going he gonna do he or she gonna do some running. Because they don't wanna be, you know, the last one running around the parking lot anymore. So again, it's just try to create a culture uh to understand, familiarize with their skill sets, but again, the leaders have to be able to think outside the box. Don't allow the lack of resources in your equipment to determine the outcome of your training. Be that leader who can think outside the box in order to meet the mission. Kind of building off of that, talking about the guard of the past and uh, present. So we've been hearing a lot of that from the director uh, talking about the Army 2028. Uh, what does that mean? Well, what that means is so, uh, you know, it's preparing the Army to meet its mission. And so what it's all about is preparing the Army to deploy anywhere at any time, fight and win our nation wars decisively against any near-peer competitor such as Russia, while simultaneously maintaining its ability to conduct irregular warfare. But the 2028 is just a strategic plan to get our units prepared with new uh, type of equipment, innovative equipment for the technology of today, as well as uh, our, our soldiers being lethal in their skill sets and, and, and what they bring to the fight as well. So that's just the modernization plan to get to that point. So I, I come from an 11 Bravo background, Sergeant Major. So, you know, when I hear all this about the new training, the new education, the, the big thing that, that sticks in my head is, is new equipment. 
I want to hear about, you know, what type of new stuff is coming down the pipeline? What am I going to get to take to the field? So what type of stuff should should these M-Day soldiers be expecting to see coming down their way? Well, uh, so, you know, we have the new uh, Futures Command, and they are uh, uh, the Army command that that's testing new equipment, new type of stuff. They're looking at, you know, new type of uh, uh, goggles, new type of weapon systems, and so those type of capabilities. Uh, you're looking at the next generation of combat fighting vehicles. You know, we the Abrams tank and the Bradley fighting vehicles and the UH-61 and then the Apache attack helicopter have been around for a long time. And so even though they've been great for the number of years they've been around, our adversaries have, you know, developed their equipment to pretty much try to outmatch those equipment. So for us to remain dominant and stay ahead of the game, we have to continue to innovate new technology, new equipment that's coming across. So uh, there's a lot of uh, good ideas out there uh, that the industry is is putting together based on what the Army requirements are. And so, again, uh, uh, looking at a lot of this synthetic training environment coming to play to help our soldiers uh, train, as well as the artificial intelligence piece of, of that as well, too. So, again, very interesting where the Army and whole defense is, is going to for its technology-wise. Yeah, I definitely saw some pretty interesting stuff last October at uh, AUSA up here in D.C. Definitely really cool some of the things that they're trying to do to minimize the cognitive burden on a soldier and reduce weight and increase range of everything from small arms to the big paladins. That's correct. And so you, you mentioned that. So, yes, here at the AUSA convention, which is the Army's big association convention here in D.C., I also encourage uh, our soldiers uh, in the Army National Guard to attend the enlisted association of the Army National Guard, Ingus, uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, where we're going to have a lot of those those same type of vendors and technology there as well, too. They can come see that that conference there in Little Rock, Arkansas in, in August. And so I encourage every soldier that when they attend these type of events, that they bring that information to their leadership and let them know what what they like, what they don't like, so that the senior leaders can can use that information. Use everybody in the formation to get their eyes out there and bring it all back to educate the rest of the unit. That's correct. Sounds yeah. like a pretty good idea. Yeah. Sergeant Major, before you head out, just had one final question for you. From a leadership standpoint, Sergeant Major, uh, what advice do you have for the specialists, the corporals, and sergeants that are in the ranks that are either leading troops or going to be leading troops? The advice I have them is one to ensure that you're uh, maintaining the standards, the basic standards of the Army. But I always use the analogy of, uh, you know, there's opportunity that comes to soldiers all day long, and I look at them like train on the tracks. You know, there's a train going north, there's a train going south every day. But the right train that passes every day may not be the right one for you. But when the right one comes, you want to be sitting on the dock ready to board that train or ready to take advantage of the opportunity that comes. But there's a lot of folks that haven't negotiated the ticket counter to be sitting on the dock ready for the opportunity. And so I don't want you to be that one sitting behind a ticket counter. And when the right opportunity comes, you missed out because you didn't do your PME. You you flagged for not passing your PT test or you flagged for uh, not meeting height weight standards. Just meeting the basic Army standards. Ensure that you have that. So when the right train comes, when the right opportunity comes for you, you'll be ready because my whole agenda is to ensure that every soldier 
have every opportunity that the Army have for that particular person. So when he or she finally takes off the uniform, they can say that I've enjoyed my time in the Army. I took advantage of every opportunity that I could that the Army presented to me. And so the only way you can do that is, one, meeting the, the basic standards of the Army. Now, you know, as you all know, we're, we have a new physical fitness test that's coming. And it's not really new anymore because more people know about it, the Army Combat Fitness Test. So, again, everybody that I've talked to that have participated in the test, they love it. They like it. Now, does some folks have challenges with the test? Yes. But it's not to the point to where they say, I'm not going to do it, especially those who have tried it. With that said is that this is where the Army is going. It's required to be in a certain type of physical fitness to wear this uniform. And so uh, uh, that's why I encourage the soldiers of today, uh, young soldiers of today, especially leaders of today, is one, ensure you maintain the standard the Army puts out there. Take care of the people you're leading. Know who they are. Know their family. Uh, provide every opportunity for them. And when you're talking about opportunity, you're talking about opportunities for everybody, not just one set of people, one certain people, one person, but the whole organization. Because when one person failed, the whole organization failed. And again, talk to people, senior leaders. I didn't get where I am today without somebody trusted in me, saw the ability in me, and, and gave me an opportunity. Because the road I think I was trying to pave, that road already been paved. I just need to come back on it and improve it a little bit more on what they have done. So I'd like to close with this. Sergeant Major Army, Grinston, has a new initiative that he's rolling out. And it's called This Is My Squad. For a long time now, we have been talking about not in my squad. Well, saying that this is my squad is saying that you're proud of your squad. You're proud of the people in your squad. And those that you're leading are saying they're proud of the people they're serving with. And so on behalf of the 335,000 Army National Guard soldiers, I'm proud to be your senior leader and proudly stand here today and tell you that you are my squad. And when I go out in front of folks, I'm proud to say this is my squad. Thank you for allowing me to be here today and having a great conversation with you all. Well, thank you, Sergeant Major Sampa, for coming out. And thank you for listening in out there. Keep an eye out for the next episode of Leader Development Podcast, where we'll be featuring more opportunities and advice for up-and-coming leaders in the Army National Guard. And if there's something you're interested in hearing about or would like to focus on, uh, shoot us a message on Instagram at ARNG underscore leader underscore development. Uh, on Instagram, we feature our programs here in the Army National Guard, opportunities, training highlights, and uh, other programs regarding leader development here in the National Guard. And when you when you are uh, giving the podcast your feedback, encourage that you want to hear more from the command sergeant major. <laughs> <laughs>